This is Geek Gab with your host, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, February 19th, 2024. 24. Yeah. Although, well, I should first ask, how was your week? My week? Mine, it was good. Good and relaxing. I just got back from... Uh, a uh, little staycation took the long weekend for president's day which it is today and uh went out uh went out in the woods and disappeared for a while but not in a bad way not in like uh you know the hills have eyes way not like that it was pretty straightforward tourist type location uh nobody died that i'm aware of and uh I had a good time. Although, really, honestly, you came back with a story about having to haunt mutant cannibals through the hills. Hunt mutant cannibals through the hills. That that would be pretty cool. I'd listen to that story. <laughs> yeah, I see you got a point there. Mm, I hate to disappoint you. Uh, no, I had a great uh, had a great time. It was uh, I got to spend some time with my lovely wife and uh just relax and played some uh played some games uh we haven't talked about board games in in a while no we did i ever did i ever uh did i ever t- did you ever get a chance to play azul no well let me tell you uh i uh i taught the wife azul it's a game about seven years old it's uh I used the I used a photo of it for the thumbnail for this episode, uh, just because it's so bright and colorful and interesting. Um, uh, did you ever play those takeaway games where like there's a, a series of rocks and like I take one, then you take two, and then you know you take one, then I take two, or or back and forth, where you get to either take one or two rocks, and whoever ends up with the last rock wins. Not even once. All right, cool. That completely missed the mark. Um, it's it's a it's just a pretty game with all of these, you know, different brightly colored tiles, and you know, there's a there's a bunch of sets of them, and you know, you can take one color of tile and pass the rest to the center, and then that creates a pool of tiles that the other players can choose from. Uh, it's surprisingly good as a two-player game. Um, uh, we got a copy of it, uh, I want to say for Christmas, but it might be older than that. Uh, a travel version of the game with, uh, you know, special plastic play, uh, play mats where the tiles can rest so they don't jostle around and fall all over the place. Um, but it's very easy to teach, very easy to play. Uh, and one of those games that goes really well for two players, and um, it takes it takes a lot to master. Uh, unless you're my wife, I don't think I won a game. Hmm. But anyway, it was a good week. Uh, it's it's a game for 2017. It's consistently really popular amongst board game groups and everything. Um, so I'm I bet you've heard of it before if you like board games. But if you're looking for something uh, 
you know, to play the loved one or, or family or whatever, uh, this is always a popular one. I, I recommend having it in your library. Um, we should play it sometime. Sure. The next time I, uh, the next time I'm in town. <laughs> um, we'll have to think of a different, uh, a different excuse to have you in town uh, because I'm not getting married again. Um, I'm keeping this one. Um, all right. Uh, I, there's other stuff if you are interested. Sure. Um, did you enjoy your last game of Dungeons and Dragons in the, the Trilopolis campaign? Yes. Well, um, I, I didn't get killed. Which Te uh, technically no, that that uh that was a rare accomplishment that session. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I hit a milestone in uh, in my game mastering. Um, two great things happened. Uh, depending on what side of the table you're on, two great things happened uh, last week. Um, I don't have much to say about that. We've got uh, what we had nine players last week and. Um, if I don't know if you're new to the show, if you're listening to the show and you did know this already, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition easily handles nine players. Um, and when you run the game, hewing as close to those rules as possible, using tried and true bro SR methods of, uh, you know, total player autonomy and, um, you know, go by that strict timekeeping, go further than strict timekeeping, do one-to-one -one time, the players will come. The players will come. Uh, uh, we had nine players, handled it beautifully. Uh, everybody sort of had a great time. The other milestone is a personal milestone for me. Uh, I finally uh, in, in experienced the unfortunate total party kill. Um, with an asterisk, uh, I was a totally party killed because the party was separated, and uh, and the uh, the half of the party that got separated were wiped out, which was that was a first for me. Can you believe that? Yeah. Well, uh, we should say that like of the nine player characters, three of them survived. They got out. And and one of them got captured. So far, yes, uh, yes. The uh, there were so the party was split into. Uh, unfortunately, the the warriors were all on one side of the divide, and they basically just did nothing for the rest of the session due to the circumstances. Not that they didn't have an opportunity, but uh, you know they were effectively out of the game for the for the remainder, and uh, the the party. You know, the remainder of the party, the other six, uh, one of them technically wasn't killed. Uh, we don't, still don't know his fate, but uh, maybe War Pig will. Uh, maybe War Pig will survive. You never know. Yeah, I was. I was beat to the ground. So. Uh, uh, yeah, it's. Which you would think would be a bad thing, being reduced to zero hit points, but it kept me from being in the fight 
and getting killed. See, they were killing the orcs. The orcs failed a morale check. And so they chased the orcs to try and wipe them out. And it turns out that that was a bad strategic move. There were a couple of tactical uh, tactical errors. It would have been a better move to barricade ourselves in the room and try to escape. Try to get out of the elevator trap. Now, what, what do you think about that? Is that is that truly a tactical error? Or is that more of a hindsight thing? Well, it was like, at that point, it was like eight of them to three of us. Hmm, yeah. And, and pretty much all of them except one were, we didn't have any fighters. All of the people... Who, I mean, if you had three fighters against uh, eight orcs that were first level, you could, that's still a risk. That's still like almost an evenly balanced encounter, depending on how smart you are about your tactics. But when the three characters are not fighters, um, I, I really do think chasing after the orcs like that was a, you're just, we were just way, way, way outnumbered. If we had stayed in the room and like spiked the door closed, um, we could have held them off while we tried to find the lever to activate the elevator trap and get back upstairs. Yeah, and that's what happened. You guys, uh, you guys got split up because you were searching a seemingly empty room that turned out to be an elevator room. So the, the door shut the warriors on the outside and everybody else got, uh, you know, descended to a lower level of the dungeon. Uh, and so they were sort of caught between that empty elevator room and a patrol of orcs. Uh, randomly generated, by the way, I don't, I don't sit down at the table and go to myself self how do i kill everybody today that's not fair and that's not fun um so yeah uh the you guys were you guys were greatly outnumbered and your fighters were elsewhere so uh maybe maybe you could have made the uh the defensive play work but i tell you what those first couple of rounds uh the party did very well so i think i think players morale was high and uh and they thought they'd turn it around oh it's so yeah. much fun to watch and and so so terrifying at the same time so you may not believe this but i actually enjoy it and prefer it when the players win and i've got to rein that in because i definitely i don't want to be biased i i i am a fair game master but uh i i, I let myself cheer a little bit when you know the players overcome desperate odds but it wasn't to be so we got a large portion of the party wiped and basically because my character was the one fighter who got descended so what wasn't it three fighters who escaped and one fighter who got smacked down um the uh 
the three who got cut off, they all escaped. It was uh, two fighters and the monk. Okay. And yeah, ironically, uh, you you were playing the only fighter that descended, and uh, though you were taken out, uh, you're as good as dead for right now. But you didn't actually die. Everybody else died. Oh, and yeah, and I've got a plan. I mean, I'm not just gonna take this line down. I've got a plan. If they if they don't just kill me outright, my plan is to uh, bribe them, bribe the hell out of them, convince them. You know, say hey. If you take me back to uh, the city, I can get you lots of gold uh, to let me live. That's, I mean, look, when, when you're in a situation like this, you, you have to think ahead. I'd already come up with this plan in the middle of combat. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking this plan through for like okay what can i do what am i going to do um because you got to be thinking ahead when bad stuff goes down you just okay what are we going to do with this uh and came up with that plan which is all right if this uh if i get a chance to talk and they don't just kill me outright i'm going to see if i can bribe them because i actually do legitimately have hundreds of gold pieces because i'm trying to save up for training when i get enough experience for the next level so if i can pass that off and they can let me go then i can you know heal um then that's just uh that's just smart I mean, yeah, yeah, I'll have to go out and get some more um, gold to level up, but I'll survive. Yeah, uh, it's a good plan. And full disclosure, I haven't uh, determined what uh, what the fate of that character is, so we'll see. Um, I want to say that uh, the upside is, uh, yep, Eldritch fan, welcome to the show. We're talking D&D because it's the top of the show, and that's what we do at the beginning of Geek Gap. Uh, the, on the other hand, uh, there were a lot of new player characters. Um, and so the new players and the new player characters were said, well, you know, that sucked, but um, we lost these level one characters. That's a shame. And there's been a lot of chatter. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to regroup? Um, we're going to, in fact, they're, we're talking, they're not going to avoid the orcs any longer. They've been avoiding that section of the dungeon. For a while uh they've had enough of the orcs so now people are going to come in with a plan i'm really looking forward to it if they follow through i want to see how everybody reacts to the new status quo uh, which shifts every time we play absolutely love it no other game does this well, other games are enjoyable for other reasons but no other kind of game does this other games other role-playing games can do this. It's just a lot of what makes this work has been lost. Um, has been sidelined. And a lot in in its place has been, you know, a lot of bad advice. So Absolutely. Absolutely. 
it's sad, but well, we're working on it. That's uh, right. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to talk about that today or talk about it later. Um, Cause we didn't cover this last week, but I got some other things I want to talk about first. Um, so Madam Webb, um, which is not a Marvel Studios movie, which is made by Sony, who went impressively 20 years without making a single decent movie. <laughs> um, now, I may be exaggerating. It may be only 15 years, maybe only 16 years, but I literally checked. I looked at every single movie this studio released for like a 20-year span, and up until uh, right before uh, Into the Spider-Verse, they had released nothing, literally nothing good. Every single movie they released was trash. And the only reason the studio survived was they were owned by Sony. They were being subsidized by Sony Electronics Corporation. So wow. they... Uh, You know how bad Morbius was and how hard it got memed on, right? Yeah. Well, Sony, in its infinite wisdom, decided that what needed to be done to punish the writers of Morbius, to really shake them up, to really let them know that they had screwed the pooch is to let them write another Marvel IP movie. So the writers of Morbius wrote Madam Web. Oh dear. And Morbius had something in the vicinity of a $17 million opening day. Seventeen million dollar, like that sounds like real money to normal people like me, but that doesn't sound like a good movie opening. So, Madam Web had a six million dollar opening day. Oh, <laughs> and Madam Web had an extra day on its opening weekend, but it's and and it's got today, which is a holiday, so it it effectively has like a five day opening weekend, and it's going to come in far far below. Uh, the three-day opening weekend or four-day opening weekend for Morbius. And the reviews are out. I just saw a, a, a news story that said a quote from one of the movie, uh, one of the movie houses who show movies, one of the theaters. They said that they could literally see the audience dropping in their theater as people were refunding their tickets before opening day. Wow. The drop-off from the first day to the second day was 64%. <laughs> so the first day was like $6.3 million, and the second day was just over $2 million. Like $2 million 
90000 or $2,060,000. So the movie, which I have not seen, is not what you would consider good by all accounts. It is considered, or at least the reviews and the way the audience seems to be reacting to it, it's considered worse than Morbius. Now, I haven't seen Morbius either. But it baffles me how a movie can end up worse and have a worse reception than Morbius got. Oh, yeah. Um, Quality cinema. So all of you people out there who are listening, I'm going to give you a spoiler warning for a few minutes because I want to read some things I've heard about Madam Web. Okay? So this is a, a meme I saw about Madam Web. All these events happen in Madam Web except one. Can you guess which is the lie? Okay? So anybody listening or, 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 or you, Dornall, I want you to guess which one doesn't happen in the movie. Are you ready? I'm ready. Madam Web is born in a cave in Peru with the help of magic spider people. Okay. The three spider women never get powers and are only seen in costumes during dream sequences. Evil Spider-Man, and the villain is basically exactly the same as Spider-Man, except he's evil. All the same powers and everything. That's what they tell me. Evil Spider-Man is killed by a large Pepsi sign. Because apparently someone saw the first Final Destination movie. Madam Webb becomes wanted for kidnapping by the NYPD. Madam Webb runs down evil Spider-Man in her car. Twice. Peter Parker is born, but not named. So baby Parker appears in the movie. Madam Web inexplicably splits into three ghost-like copies of herself near the end of the movie. So the meme asks you which one of those is the lie. Okay, I, I, I that was a lot more than I was expecting. I think... Now, your mention of Final Destination makes me want to say the Pepsi sign, but I'm actually going to go with number one. She's born in a cave in Peru with the help of magic spider people. I'm going with that one. That one's fake. Okay. 
do, do we have anybody in the audience? Do, do they have any, any thoughts on which one of these is fake? Uh, the chat waits with bated breath. Bated breath. Okay. Um, the meme is lying. All of those happen in the movie. <laughs> Got me. <laughs> um, I, I want to dive into the Pepsi side a little bit because you're not going to believe this. I didn't believe this when I read it. So when Madam Webb has her first vision, she sees a big red letter S. She sees the future. That's her powers. Madam Webb sees one to five minutes into the future so she can kind of avoid the future. And you're, you're asking yourself, wait a minute, Daddy Warpig, wasn't that a Nicolas Cage movie? Yes. Yes. Yes, viewers. That was a Nicolas Cage movie, and it was much, much better than this one. If you're going to go out and see this movie, physically restrain yourself with violence if necessary. <laughs> And go watch the Nicolas Cage movie where he can see the future. Wow. Because I guarantee you it's better than this. And you'll say, but, but, but Daddy Warpick, isn't Sydney Sweeney in this? Isn't she all kinds of purdy? And I will say to you, you can't tell. She is bundled up like a Russian in this movie. I was going to say like an Eskimo, but I've been told that that is, that is verboten in the new age. And I'm trying to be kind and I'm trying to be socially aware. You're not allowed to say that anymore, but Russians aren't human. And so you can say anything you want about them. So, um, She's bundled up like a Russian the entire movie, and so you can't tell if she's pretty or not. Um, and then on the web, uh, on the carpet for the premiere of the movie, her and Dakota Johnson are, are dressed in slinky, low-cut dresses. Dakota Johnson is basically wearing see-through chain mail, which is, you're just like, whoa, lady, tile that back. Um, but in the whole movie, no. They're wearing enough fabric that they could literally stop bullets. Um, so when Cassie Webb has her first vision, she sees a big red letter S. But nobody knows what it is. Don't know the context. At the end of the movie, they're fighting the bad guy near a Pepsi sign. And she sees the big S start to shake and give way because the building is collapsing. And she backs into position and keeps looking at the S as it slowly comes loose. They cut to the S like five times as it gets closer and closer to falling. And then finally, the sign gives way and the villain is falls and he's crushed to death by of course absolutely of course obviously you saw this coming from the beginning of the movie he is crushed to death by the letter p <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Wow. Wow. It's this Hollywood filmmakers, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Just to read that. <laughs> I'm just weeping. Oh, that just pains me deep in my my heart of plot appreciation. I'm like, why would you do that? Surely that has to be some kind of crappy special effect. You you can't go back and change it. Oh. So this is Madam Web. It's not doing well. It is not being regaled as a cinematic masterpiece, the likes of which superhero movies have have never seen before. Um, I, I did not review this movie. I did not see this movie. It is still not the worst thing I've seen. I, I mean, there's always, always uh, birdemic. If you want to, if you want to find the worst thing anyone's ever seen. No, I, I'm, I'm. No, I'm just I'm talking recently. It's not even the worst thing I've I've seen recently. I'm I'm watching season two of Halo. Oh dear. Episode three was so bad, it was so painful. I had to quit like five or ten minutes into it. I just couldn't take it anymore. But that's not even the worst thing I've ever seen. Recently, Jennifer, Jennifer, what's her name? Um, Jennifer Lopez has a new album out. And she has apparently a movie that this album is sort of the soundtrack to. And at one point in this movie, she says something about how she never gets love or whatever. And so they literally zoom out to the Council of Astronomical or Astrological Signs. So you have Leo, Virgo, Caprica, Gemini, and all of them. And they all go around saying things. And commenting on Jennifer Lopez and her love life and why she doesn't hook up. The first one is Jane Fonda, which is fine. She's an actress. She actually does things. And then there's a bunch of people I don't recognize. Leo is played by Post Malone, who's like a white rapper or singer or, or something. He's an entertainer. He's an entertainer. Maya Angelou makes an appearance as an... Wait, she's still around? Apparently, astrological sign, and they're going back and forth. And then, like two minutes into this clip that I saw, Mr. Neil... DeGrasse Tyson is an 
astrological sign. <laughs> and he pops up and starts pontificating about how, yes, the astrological signs can have opinions and stuff, but it's really the stars who govern, govern things. And it was so bad. The dialogue is terrible. The acting is terrible. And it's Neil deGrasse Tyson. And it was so painful. And I'm not joking. This is not a bit. I'm not trying to be funny. It was so terrible and painful. It literally made me vow to start watching episode three of Halo again. Just to make the pain go away. Wow, dude. That's how painful it was. Just to see. <laughs> so. If you want to know. Why I didn't go see Madam Web. I had a chance to go see Madam Web today. It's half hour drive to the theater. I didn't go see Madam Web today. It's because I'm suffering through Halo 3 or Halo Season 2, Episode 3. And then this video clip from Jenny from the block. And I just couldn't face Madam Web. I don't know that I haven't seen Morbius yet, and I'm actually sort of small time interested. I haven't seen Venom yet, or, or Venom Carnage, the the second Venom movie. And I like the first Venom, but I haven't seen these movies yet. I just my tolerance for garbage is. I just I can't do it. But I understand. Uh, I am watching Masters of the Air, which I may have mentioned before, um, on Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's the series made by the same people who made, um, you know, the Pacific and Band of Brothers. Right. Band of Brothers. It's it's the third series in that sort of trilogy, um, and. Uh, it's not as good as Band of Brothers. It's better than The Pacific. Uh, and the last episode just got really, really good. Like, really good. As good as anything in Band of Brothers. The first four episodes are not so much. Not bad. They're not, you know, bad television by any means. But they're not as good as Band of Brothers. But this last episode, episode five, was, was fabulous. Just phenomenal. So... Um, once this series is over, I'll be giving a full review of it. But, you know, I am watching good stuff. I am watching, you know, good stuff. Um, but, man, Madam Web is... My, my advice to you, based on what I've seen, is that you shouldn't go see Madam Web. That's just my advice. That's not a review. That's just... I have seen... I have seen the life drain out of eyes of critics... And I'm telling you, it is a horrible thing to see. There's one critic who did like a 15-minute video talking about 
how he was refusing to do a review of it because he just didn't want to say anything bad about it. And and people have pointed out that's actually being a coward that he went and saw the movie and went and review it. And because he's uh, also an indie filmmaker and yada yada yada, I'm like, I don't know about that, but I do know, you know. It is quite a movie where people are refusing to review it because they literally can't find anything good to say about it. Uh, I found this in a video the other day, and I threw it up on my Twitter page, so I want to read it real quick because I want to remind you of what it used to be like in this country. Aliens, the movie Aliens by James Cameron, right? Yep. With Sigourney Reaver. And uh, Bill Paxton, a whole host of great people in it. When it was released into theaters in 1986, these were the movies still in theaters it was going up against. Are you ready? I'm ready. Big Trouble in Little China, About Last Night, The Great Mouse Detective, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Karate Kid 2, Back to School, Ruthless People, and Top Gun. Wow. We're all still in the theaters. Not released the same year. Still in the theaters when Aliens was released. And I skipped over some other movies that they showed in this video. Um, like Space Camp, Invaders from Mars, and Legal Eagles. Second tier, but still watchable movies. Um, and then I also left out some other movies that uh, have just completely dropped off the radar. I mean, that's the competition that they were directly up against. 1986. And some of those movies are legit all-time classics. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Top Gun, Great Mouse Detective, absolutely, you know, classics. And then back to school, Big Big Trouble in Little China is a cult classic, well-loved, passionately loved by a large group of people. Great Mouse Detective and Karate Kid 2 are great movies that may not be as widely known today, but are still fabulous movies. And the others, and these are like the quote-unquote, you know, forgotten movies uh, that are still, you know, Back to School is amazing. It is a great Rodney Dangerfield comedy. People should see it just to watch Sam Kinison's role in it. I haven't seen Ruthless People or About Last Night, but Ruthless People is Danny DeVito. And uh, I hear it's it's great. It may have aged some because it's very 80s. This is what people tell me. But it's still great. Um, and... and we can't even get like a five-year period where we get one movie on par with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, we see a movie like Top Gun Maverick, and that stands out for almost an entire decade. But this is what it was like in 1986. Somebody who was responding to this thread went back and like, just did like, okay, here are the movies that were in the summer of 1981, 1982, whatever. Um, and they were just insane. Just the movies that were regular summer movies that we just picked from to go see 
so great the movies that were just considered run-of-the-mill that we didn't think were all that special because we were inundated with fabulous movies. Uh, someone also listen, listed uh, other 86 movies, Stand By Me, Labyrinth, Highlander, The Hitcher, the animated Transformers movie, Fly to the Navigator, Short Circuit, Heartbreak Ridge, Iron Eagle, Delta Force, um, and uh, a really low, uh, underrated, low-rated uh, cult movie, The Wraith, with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, what, what a great selection. What the hell, folks? <laughs> <laughs> And what we get nowadays is Madam Web. I don't want to bang on about this. I'm not trying to be depressive or, or whatever. I just, these are just some tweets that happen to come together into kind of a theme the last few days. Um, and some activities I was doing, but man. High quality, superb movies didn't used to be an aberration. They used to be the norm. They used to be expected because that's what Hollywood actually delivered. And when people were sitting there bemoaning, oh, Hollywood is just pumping out trash. What they were talking about was audience-pleasing movies that weren't also at the same time you know, deep and meaningful movies like The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was a mega blockbuster in its time. It was like the Avengers of its time, right? Super big money maker, while also having, um, you know, deep things and deep movies. So when people were saying of the 80s, oh, modern movies are all trash, they weren't actually bad movies. They just weren't prestige pictures while also being blockbusters. But in no world can you say Top Gun was a bad movie. And in no world can you say that Top Gun wasn't dealing with heavy issues uh, or deep issues. Um, you know, spoilers for Top Gun, folks, but it is literally a, a 38, did I do that math right? 38-year-old movie, so uh, sorry. Um, way way too Goose much spoiling. <laughs> yeah, when, when Goose dies uh, in the movie and Maverick has to deal with that and has to get back up on the horse, as it were, he's dealing with grief. Goose's wife is dealing with grief. He's dealing with having to become a fighter pilot again, having to trust himself again. These are all heavy, heavy themes that are common that people can relate to. It may not have been the Ten Commandments or the original Ben-Hur, and I have to specify the original Ben-Hur, but this was not a fluff piece, right? This was not a bit of froth. This was a movie, and this is what they were decrying. Oh, the movies today are all, are all trash. They're all popular trash. They were calling Top Gun popular trash. I'm saying no. They may not have been Ben-Hur or the Ten Commandments, but they were still making great movies. Even Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a comedy. It's fun and funny and light and entertaining, 
still has themes of low self-worth, um, parental uh, control, and, uh, you know, borderline neglect. Um, all of those things are just sub-themes that are subtly layered in and among the comedy that make the characters feel real. They felt like real people. And this is what people were calling, oh yeah, modern Hollywood trash. They did not know what trash was because these were still great movies. We know what trash is. We were born into it, molded by it. <laughs> yeah, did you see Madam Webb during that one part when she said it's web in time and webbed all over those guys? <laughs> Yep. Oh. Yeah, so anyways, you can pick just about any year during the 80s and, and, and 90s. I love a lot of 90s movies. They're not trying to dump on them, but um, they were a burst of new hope coming out of the misery um, of the 70s. And, and it's not like the 70s didn't have good movies, but most of the movies in the 70s really were miserable crap. And it took the uh, took Jaws first, and then Star Wars, to bust us out of the doldrums that the so-called New Hollywood had dropped us into. Things like Easy Rider uh, and the rest um, that were, you know, basically lit fic, cinematic lit fic. Um, but man, the '80s just had some great, exuberant, fun movies. To where even forgotten movies. Uh, Bruce Willis had a date movie, um, Blind Date, I think. Um, that is a brilliant comedy with John Larroquette, and I can't remember her name. She was in Batman '89. So beautiful. Michelle Pfeiffer. No, that was the that was the next Batman. That was Batman. Oh, oh uh, Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. Thank you. Kim Basinger, John Larroquette, Bruce Willis. Blind Date. Fabulous comedy. Mostly forgotten. But you go watch it. It is great. It is phenomenal. Uh, and it's been forgotten because there were so many great and phenomenal movies coming out. We were so stuffed with great things to see. They just kind of fell by the wayside. Um. So yeah, those are those are some movies, by the way. If if you want to look at two great comedies that have gotten overlooked or or forgotten, Blind Date with Bruce Willis and Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. I highly recommend both of those. They're fun and they're funny, um, and they're very politically incorrect. You simply could not make them today. Um, and they are, yeah, just so many good movies. It's a decade, decade of hope and exuberance, a decade of you know, heroism and patriotism. Um, and, and it's, we can't even make movies with a basic, simple competence today. When he gets hit by the P, that is a failure of simple, basic competence. That is just setting up, they call it laying pipe, right? Where you set up something during the earlier part of the movie and have it pay off in the latter part of the movie. Screenwriters call that laying pipe. Um, 
That is simply absolutely complete failure in the most basic part of the screenwriter's art. Um, that you know, it's like an electrician uh, putting a bullet in for a fuse. That is just an absolute failure in everything they're supposed to do. So easily fixed. Especially for a movie which I believe had a lot of reshoots and rewrites. The main character, Evil Spider-Man, um, you can literally see so many of these characters start saying lines and their lips aren't moving because they rewrote their lines so many times. Uh, they did so many reshoots and rewrites that they're not saying the lines that their lips are moving for. Oh, wow. They just had to dub over everything. Dub over all these things. Oh. It's, it's, it's the 70s karate or, or kung fu movie effect. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they couldn't get the S right. And I'm I just like it aggravates me. I could do better than that. I could do so much better than that. I know a lot of indie writers who could do better than that. Even just the script consultants, they could do better than that. They could say, no, don't do that. It's stupid. <laughs> that is so dumb. Please don't do that. That is so dumb. So I don't know. I, I really don't want to keep on railing against Madam Webb, but the, the sheer contrast between the quality of 1986 and the quality of what we're getting now, um, it, it's not a matter of people were responding to my tweets saying, oh, well, you're just looking back on these movies with nostalgia. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm really not. Because a lot of these movies, I didn't, or not a lot, at least one of them I didn't see until right now, and that was Point Break I didn't see until a couple of years ago, um, which I've mentioned before. We've talked on the show before, if you've, if you've listened to us. You know, it's sh completely shocking because it's exactly my kind of movie. Sure the fact I, I didn't see it for over 30 years is, is completely shocking, but I loved it immediately when I saw it. It was such a good movie. So um, there really is a different in quality, and the different in quality is in simple, clear, basic problems in the writing, problems in the characterization. It's, it's devastating. And these are not isolated to just Sony or just the people who wrote, also wrote Morbius. Um, it is a widespread problem throughout the industry. And, and it doesn't seem to be getting better. Um, film Threat. Chris Gore, I think his name, has been doing an indie review magazine called Film Threat since like 1998. Now he's got a YouTube channel. Uh, and I don't mean now, it's like recently. It's been going for a while, but I just now started watching it. Uh, he had a anonymous letter from the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, came on to uh, 
leaked some documents about what they're doing about writers in Hollywood and then uh, you know had some other people come on and write him about what's happening on the staff of streaming shows, what's happening on the staff of movies. And the fact is, uh, people are saying, oh, well, they're rushing diversity hires. It's like, no, that's, I'm not saying that's not happening, but that's not just it. These people simply lack the experience as a writer or working in a writing room with other writers, and they're impatient and arrogant and don't want to get the experience. Like, a showrunner is the person who is in charge of the writing room. They're in charge of writing the show. They're in charge of approving the scripts. They're in charge of setting the direction for a show. So when you see like a season of Buffy and they said, okay, this, this season of Buffy is about a goddess and she changes shape between this goddess and this human man. They're bonded together. And we're going to have these overarching, uh, you know, episodes that link into this big bad, and then we'll have the big climax at the end. But in between them, we're going to have these small episodic content that's about just individual monsters. And then they lay out the plot for the big arc. That's what a showrunner does, right? They're the ones who keep everything moving, who link everything together. So. For series like you see on Netflix or on Amazon or whatever, it, it's it's 10 years before someone can move up into a showroom, 10 years of experience working in a writer's room before you've become experienced enough to, to step up to that chair because you just haven't had enough experience seeing how things work and working around professionals and understanding how the industry works. By the way, I'm quoting from... Uh, from the videos, the two videos they put up on Film Thread, I'm quoting from a professional writer who has experience in the industry. This is, you know, this is not my own professional experience. It's not my own opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm transmitting as best as possible the experience of someone in the industry. So I'm not trying to set myself up as, a, as an authority here. I'm just giving you the highlights of what this, this writer says. So these new people, though, they come in and they've worked on these shows that have eight episodes instead of like 22 episode seasons. And then after doing two seasons of eight episodes each, they're demanding to know why they're not being made showrunners already. They're like raising a fuss with HR and, and getting very angry and, you know, using their social cachets, whoever they are, to try and get pushed up into being a showrunner way out of their competence. And, and this may be a person who has talent. This may be a person who is, you know, even decent at writing. They just don't have the experience to be a showrunner because it involves far more than just writing. It involves a ton of creative decisions that you have to have a feel for. And yet they're out there demanding these positions when they haven't had the experience and they don't have a track record to show. Yes, you've had a lot of successes under your belt to show why you should be given this job. Um, and that's why streaming content is so bad is these people are being promoted um, way out of zone, to use a, a phrase uh, I got from a John Ringo novel. 
which I believe is a, a military phrase, right? When you're promoted way early uh, to uh, to a higher rank, you're promoted way out of zone. These people are all being promoted way out of zone. And, uh, and it shows. They're just not ready for it. And they're replacing entertaining the audience with uh, well, what can we teach the audience? What can we, you know, which is basically what can we lecture the audience about? What do we want to send? What kind of message do we want to send? Is what they're really saying. Um, and it's a disaster. It, it's all a disaster because you have veterans being shushed out of the industry, being brushed out of the industry, the people who know what they're doing, and a bunch of new people coming in who don't have the skill who may not even have the talent, you don't know because they've never been put through the ringer. They've never been forced to, you know, put up or shut up. They've never been forced to uh, actually produce over the long run, and they're not doing a good job. They're fumbling the ball. The Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, the live-action version, fumbled the ball. The Witcher, disastrous showrunner who loathe the material, loathe the actor, um, loathe, so much loathe the material that they had to recut the episodes for the season to hide the costumes they made um, for the villains. Um, because they were literally penis head costumes. Um, and they had to cut around them. Choose wow. a bunch of different bunch of different shots so you couldn't see them you saw them in the first trailer but they had to change it all because you know this this writer this showrunner uh just thought it would be funny to put that in um like they thought no one in the audience would notice or no one in who was fans of the witcher would would get angry um it just People aren't being put through the ringer. They're not being forced to develop their talent. They're not being forced to develop their skills. They're not being forced to earn, you know, earn their bones to flip to a mafia, um, to flip to a mafia, I believe, uh, metaphor there. Um, and all of the experienced people are being pushed out of the industry. And what you're, left with a bunch of arrogant punks who don't know how much they don't know. They literally have no idea how ignorant they are. And so they act like they're bulletproof. They act like they know everything and then they just don't. And it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. And I don't think anybody making the decisions on hiring or setting up showrunners or anything, I don't think they care. I don't think they care at all. There's just enough people that are just going to watch whatever, uh, you know, what, that uh, that they don't care. It doesn't matter. The writing's bad. And every show, we've we've all been conditioned to, oh, you know, it'll get good after a couple episodes. Well, guess what? Most shows don't. One thing that uh, – it was either Chris Gore or his co-host, whose name I can't remember. I'm so sorry. You're lucky I remember the name Film Threat. Apologies. Um, one thing uh, that the host said is that uh, places like Disney have been so overrun with 
these uh, these incompetents who are more interested in, in lecturing the audience than producing good work. Uh, as you saw in Wish, use Wish as the example. All of the skill has been driven out of uh, out of the industry, um, not just driven out of Disney, literally driven out of the industry. They can't get jobs anywhere in the industry. Um, that Disney isn't going to be saved. That what's going to have to save movies is indies because the big studios are just going to keep doing this until they collapse. And they will collapse sooner or later. Um, Fox was on the verge of collapse, which is why they entertained the offer from Disney. Um, they were waiting in red ink. And so Disney bought them out before they, you know, a couple years before they went poof. Um, before they vaporized. And so indie filmmakers are going to have to step up. And I, and I don't know what that means. What that means is that all of the old IP, all of the old characters, all the old situations are going to be locked up with these bankrupt corporations or these corporations who are basically on life support who can't function because all of their skilled and experienced people have been fired. Um, and so it's going to force you to have an indie industry and you're going to force you to have um, new content. And that's going to be where you have to start from. Um, and I, I'm not saying I know when that's going to happen. I'm not saying that's going to happen next year or two years or in five years or in 10 years. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and maybe something big might happen to save it. Maybe, you know, Hollywood will petition the federal government and some pinhead at the federal government will start publicly supporting all these studios. And so what we'll get is even worse trash that's even more propagandistic and the studios won't collapse and we'll just have a thriving industry. Or maybe, and this is another thing I saw this week, was this new AI engine. It's text-to-video called Sora. I don't know if you saw these videos. I haven't seen um, them. They're just short snippets, uh, and I mean like a paragraph long, of text that generates a 60-second video. Um, and they've got all the problems that AI pictures used to have, but they're still pretty heckin' impressive. Um, and then another company, like two days after these videos debuted, I mean, these, these dropped on Friday, um, have text-to-audio to where you can write a text description, and it'll generate background audio, crowd noises or gulls, you know, creaking or whatever, not actual dialogue, but, you know, planes flying or boats honking their horns or whatever. So this, this technology is coming along to where average people will be able to generate passable movies. And people are going to say, well, that, that looks like crap. I mean, look at these AI image generation tools and they look like garbage. You know, they don't look real. There's so many errors in them. I say, yo, yes, there are. But one, they're going to get better. And two, it doesn't matter. If all that Hollywood is pumping out is Madam Webs, and you can watch a movie that is, has a good plot with characters you like, 
that is, let's say, 60% technically proficient, what are you going to watch? Madam Weber or this AI-generated movie that some guy came up with on the internet. And there's going to be a lot of crap. You're going to have to wade through a lot of crap. I mean, look at my, my comparison was, and I do not mean this as an insult to indie writers. It's not an insult to indie writers. There are a large number of people in what they call dark books on Amazon. What dark books are, or the dark ebook market is, are people who don't pay for ISBN numbers. They don't pay to have their books registered with that system. So they're not tracked by most sales data. But these people can make five or six figures a month selling books that are, in comparison to a lot of professional works, let's call them semi-pro. They're not quite professional level, but they're semi-pro, but they make enough money to live off of. And some lady uh, who writes what is basically, you know, elevated porn, um, she makes a million dollars a month. Well, obviously, in these dark novel, in this dark ebook market, and obviously, that's just her. And the vast majority of people aren't going to be making anywhere near that. And we're friends with a lot of indie writers. We know that. And I'm not suggesting that they're doing anything wrong because they haven't made that yet. I'm saying semi-pro people in the ebook market have been able to step up and make a living because the pros all of a sudden decided that serving their customers was a dirty, dirty, filthy thing that only Philistines did. So if Hollywood keeps on this path and AI keeps getting better, then there's going to be a class of semi-pro filmmakers rise who don't need cameras, who don't need sets, who don't need to shoot on location, who someday may not even need actors and actresses, who can just text to video and text to speech an entire movie and it may look kind of crampy in places, and you may be able to tell the physics don't work in some places, but it'll still be better than Adam Webb. Well, I'm looking forward to that dark future. Thanks for ruining my Monday, Warpig. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, if, if the studios, the studios don't seem like they're going to reform and it may be past the point where they can reform. And if other traditional studios don't rise up to replace them, then we may be looking at the future of semi-pro AI filmmakers. And there are indie studios trying to rise up to replace them. Daily Wire has got a, its own movie studio now that they're trying to um they produced several movies i've seen one of them it, it wasn't bad it wasn't great but it wasn't bad the school shooting movie um i haven't seen any of the others but they've got one with gina carano in it that's a western um again i'm not saying it's you know 
So there's indie studios coming up out there that people are putting money into, but man, watch out for the rise of semi-pros because it's getting more and more likely. So th this has been my Twitter for the past week. These are all my uh, all my Twitter things that come across my Twitter feed that I've put together, uh, I guess, retroactively into this theme. So I'm I done get for it. today. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, speaking of speaking of good stuff, bad stuff. Oh, we're we're out of time, but I don't need to save this for another week. Um, I took our advice from a couple of episodes ago. Went back and watched some older stuff, not too old. Uh, finished up the second season of True Detective. I'm really glad that I uh, I've seen I seen it a few years later instead of when the hype was out and about around the series when it first was released. Did you ever get a chance to see either of those? I saw the first season of true detective and I think, yes. And I saw the second season too, because the second season is when he stopped being a cop and he's working at like an electrical power plant or something. Oh, you're, you're thinking of uh, something completely different. Uh, true detectives, the anthology series, the uh, first season was, Sort of a, a cult noir starring yeah. Matthew McConaughey and uh Yeah. Uh there's the it's uh, the second season has nothing to do with the first. Totally different cast. Oh, so is that the second half of the first season? Is they take a time jump forward and then he's no longer a cop and he's working at a like a white collar or a, a blue collar job? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've seen the first season. I guess I haven't seen any of the other seasons. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I finished the second season. I highly recommend it. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's better than the first. Um, uh, it's it's one of those HBO prestige series with, uh, you know, big name movie actors like Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell uh, and Rachel McAdams. Um, and it's another sort of noir-ish, noir detective story. Uh, this time, very appropriately set in L.A. And everything that that implies. I thought the first season, one of the problems was they set up some things as red herrings, I guess, but had very serious implications that they just dropped. And it was like, whoa, wait a minute. You can't just drop that. Something really wrong is going on here. and It may not have anything to do with the main case, but that needs to at least be followed up on. Um. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's just that, my pocket review of the first season. <laughs> that uh, that is a fair, uh, fair accusation of uh of the first season. I mean, I did enjoy it. It was a good season of television, but and it had Alexander Daddario in it, and she's all kinds of pretty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, started the started the third season. Uh, I'll let you know. It's, I think it's it started off as more of a traditional uh, sort of crime story. So, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, that's all that's going on for me. So you're saying rather than bludgeon myself about the head with watching Halo, I should watch True Detective. Absolutely. Well, it's like I said before. You don't don't wait don't wait three episodes for a show to get good. Just leave. It's not worth it. It's not worth the headache or the heartache, man. 
Well, see, unlike you, I actually watch things to review them. It's like kind of, oh, yeah, that reminds me. We'll have to finish this up real quick. But, yeah, that reminds me of something. But, yeah, I actually do watch stuff to review them. It's just sometimes they're blindingly painful. But Halo may be too blindingly painful for me to finish. It's I'm okay, man. I'm able to do it. Your adoring fans and listeners will forgive you for not going through with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, did you have anything else? No, I'm good. Uh, okay. That's great. T- great talking to you as usual. Appreciate everyone in the chat hanging out and hope everybody uh, who listened later does not watch Halo and watches uh True Detective instead. And don't go see Madam Web. <laughs> Watch the Nicolas Cage movie where he sees the future instead. I, I don't know what the title of it is. I don't remember what the title of it is, but seriously, I, I'm you they absolutely did the uh premise far, far better than Madam Web did, because I can't imagine you could do it worse than Madam Web did. Um I will say this right before the show, and I mean literally right before the show, um, we bought a domain name for the new blog. The new blog is going along quite well. So you can check us out at geek-gab.com, assuming that's gone live. They told us it would go live in half an hour, which is about halfway through the show. Um, And... uh, We've been ahead of time on all the posts, so they are uh, writing them one day and they go live the next day. So um, the blog is officially launched and we should be getting uh, the Patreon uh, and Subscribestar up and running sometime this week. Um, That sounds amazing. Yeah, we've been... A link works. I just checked it. Redirects to the blog. Boom. There we go. Hey yo, geek-gab.com. So uh, it's easier for you to remember. Um, I checked geekgab.com and and it it just there's a squatter squatting on it. it just directs to this white page. Uh, so if you want to meditate on pure, endless white, if you want to stare into the void, uh, that's available to you. But that is not us. <laughs> Got it. Um, all right. I want to thanks every, thank everyone for uh, tuning in to our show today. I want to thank everyone uh, who will tune in later. Uh, this has been Geek Gab for Monday, February 19th, 2024. You can catch us just about every Monday night, just about the same time, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, you can also catch us on our blog at geek-gab.com. Uh, or on the Apple Music Store, the iTunes, or the iTunes Store, SoundCloud.com, and the Google Play Store. Just do a search for Geek Gab, and uh, when we get our Patreon and Subscribe Star set up, you can also help support us with uh, up to free costs for the show. We are. Please feel free to subscribe and click the bell icon so you can get an announcement as to when we're going live. We are signing off for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.